Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, let's see, where does the Lord want to take this this morning? Joey, I was really blessed by your prayer earlier. Um, the 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 thing we need to be reminded of is that baby Jesus grew up. The eternal God come down into human flesh grew up. And that was a beautiful reminder through your prayer. May the Lord stir that in us this morning. I, part of the reason why I've had Simeon uh, read about Simeon this morning is because Simeon in Luke chapter 2 is awaiting the consolation of Israel. He is, he's not a dad himself, we don't believe, but he was waiting for a baby. He was waiting for the Messiah to show up on the scene and for him to save Israel. And he waited and he waited and he waited. Um, perhaps you've waited for a child. Perhaps you've longed to have a child and it hasn't happened. Or perhaps you've waited for a foster child and it has happened. Perhaps you and your wife have been pregnant, or wife, you and your husband are expecting. And there is that waiting time that I know this is supposed to happen, but I'm not sure exactly what it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Uh, I, I remember feeling that distinctly when we were waiting for Simeon. And, you know, when you, when you haven't seen your wife have contractions before, you don't know how that's exactly going to start and what it's going to be like when they start. Um, when is it actually going to be time to go to the hospital? When, how is this all going to happen? Because everybody's story is different, right? But when that baby comes, there is, there is, it's, I was going to say it's a magical moment. It's not a magical moment. It is a, it is a life moment when a body is understood to be a person. And you get to meet this person that has been developing, and all of a sudden, there they are. And there can be a, can be a for me at least, there, it was a mixture of like dancing with him in the room as I held him for the first time, but also like this hushed silence. I hope this morning, in the midst of the busyness of the season, which if you're like me, right now you have a million things going on in the back of your mind that is your list to make happen in the next 10 days. Um, I hope that this can be sort of a hushed silence sort of time. A time for us to be in the Word together and to contemplate the incarnation and to contemplate the resurrection. This morning, as I was in the Word, in my, my own time in the Word, I was in Zechariah chapter 2. Um, hear this. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts, 
has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And hear this. Having heard that, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Consider, consider how Jesus, awaiting from eternity past, that day when he would inhabit that embryo, when the Holy Spirit would come over Mary and the incarnation would happen. Imagine that day in the eternal scope of God, but Jesus knowing at this moment I am inhabiting flesh. You know, you can make up a lot of stories about the what-ifs, like, what was that like? Did he say goodbye to Michael? Did he know? Whatever. But there was a day. There was a day when Jesus left his throne and came down. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Jesus got up, and he came down. There was a day, and there will be a day, when Jesus again will get up and he will come down. You may know Linus Van Pelt. Charlie Brown Christmas? Oh, oh. <laughs> thanks, Hector. Linus Van Pelt, we don't usually use his last name, right? It's usually just Linus. Um, and I, Linus, as we've all undoubtedly seen, answers the, answers the question of what is the real meaning of Christmas? All right. And he goes to Luke chapter 2 and he says what the angels said to the shepherd. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for all people that unto you is born this day, this Savior, Christ the Lord. That, that, that proclamation from the angels, maybe because it's mixed up in Charlie Brown Christmas, it's become so culturally just there that sometimes we wonder, or maybe you don't wonder, maybe that's the problem, what was up with that proclamation? The, God, the angels were proclaiming the gospel, the good news that Jesus had gotten up and he had come down. That there was a Savior, and a, a Savior necessitates that there must be something to be saved from. And so the angels proclaimed the gospel there is a Savior for all people. He is Christ the Lord. This morning, we are going to continue in Philippians chapter 3 and explore this reality of Jesus, the Savior that we are waiting for, and what that means for us into eternity. So, would you open up to Philippians chapter 3, please? Verses 20 and 21, it's on page 982 in the Pew Bibles.
Lord, as we come before Your Word this morning, we ask that through the work of Your Spirit, it would speak to us. That it would be Your tool of life. Your means of resurrecting dead hearts. Your carpenter's tool for molding us and shaping us more and more into Your image, O Carpenter Christ. That we would know You better, God, today through Your Word. We trust You for this. In Your name, Amen. So you're hopefully in Philippians 3. We've been going through this four-part section here as we've slowed down in our series for these four Advent Sundays. Um, just to do a little bit of review, December 1st, Bill preached on our citizenship being in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Making the point that though we live on earth, and specifically in, I think that he called it the empire of America, we are not ultimately defined by our citizenship, our temporal citizenship here in America. It doesn't mean that we forsake our citizenship or that we don't value it, but it does not ultimately define us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that was as true for us as American believers as it was for Philippian believers living under the rule of Caesar. Our citizenship is in heaven. Though we live on earth, we seek a greater country, according to Hebrews chapter 11. We seek the city that is to come. We have a greater king and a greater allegiance. That was December 1st. Last week, we talked about the next section in, these, in this, um, this four-part section in these, uh, in these two verses. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about eagerly expecting the return of the King. That it's going to be sudden, visible, powerful, and personal. Jesus is going to get up and come down. He is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He's not just chilling. He's loving us. He's caring for us. He's shepherding us. And as we talked about last week, He is waiting Himself for His return. Remember He said at the Last Supper, said, I'm not going to drink of this wine or eat of this bread until I can eat it again with you. He Himself is waiting for His return. So as we eagerly wait, He eagerly waits with us. The return of our King is to come. When the Philippians would have heard this wording, from it we await a Savior, it's interesting that Paul didn't say the Savior, because that would immediately say, well, of course, our Savior is Jesus Christ. He says, a Savior. Because he is trying to help them again with their allegiance question here. A Savior. Caesar was called a Savior. Certain gods within the Roman grouping of gods, the Greek grouping of gods, were also called saviors. Paul is saying here to the Philippians, we await a Savior, a true Savior, and He is the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this return of the King bring about? Would you 
Just flip back a little bit to verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Hear what he said there. He is addressing people that have once claimed Christ. That have once claimed allegiance to the cross. And even with tears... This is with great sorrow that he is saying, listen, let's talk about the people that we all have in the back of our minds. The people who used to claim Christ and no longer do. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You could say, okay, well, maybe enemies is too strong of a term. Because what if somebody just kind of casually walks away? They don't... They don't attack the church they used to be a part of. They don't go on Facebook and revile Christians or forsake the name of Christ publicly. Would they still be termed enemies of the cross? The answer would be yes. Because the cross, Jesus' sacrificial death on it for us, is so of ultimate value. The ultimate gift that rejecting it is the move of an enemy. There's just no casual dismissal of the cross. The cross is true. The cross is actual. The cross accomplishes into eternity saving people for God. There's no casual dismissal of the cross. You are either a friend of the cross or an enemy of the cross. In fact, in John chapter 5, Jesus explicitly says, listen, I came and the ones who I came for did not receive me. He says that in John 1 also. It is on the basis of their rejection of Him and the life that He offers that they are termed enemies of the cross. Paul doesn't mince words even as tears come down his cheeks. Why have they become enemies of the cross? Verse 19. Well, ultimately, first of all, their end is destruction. They have seen the cross. They've tasted of the common grace of knowing Jesus and they've walked away. Their end is destruction. Judgment. And what has made them this way? Their God is their belly. Their God is their appetites. Their God is the I want this. It doesn't just mean food. It means the appetites of our flesh. They, they worship themselves and what they want. Their end is destruction because their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. They take the things that God would count shameful and they glory in those things with minds set on earthly things. Oh Lord, would You keep us from being people that become enemies of the cross, walking away from Your eternal goodness because we follow our appetites. We glory in what is sin. 
and we let our minds stay set on earthly things. God, we need Your grace to be able to resist that. We need Your Spirit to counsel us and guide us and keep us. That His faithfulness would rule us. So as Christ comes, everyone comes to judgment, but there will be deliverance for those who have trusted Him and destruction for those who have trusted themselves. See, when it says here, we await a Savior, as Christians, we would say, well, yes, we await a Savior. We have already been saved. We've been justified. He's taken our penalty. What Paul is saying here is that every single person will come to the judgment. It is only those who have Christ that will be saved. We are still awaiting that day of our salvation, even though we are saved. Christ will Himself accomplish it. So obviously we're looking ahead here. Our citizenship for all those who are in Christ is in heaven. From heaven we await a Savior. He will get up and He will come down. The Lord Jesus Christ. And what is going to happen? What is He going to do? Jesus Christ Himself will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Who wants a better body? Come on now, Nawana. Alright. So, who knows who Peloton Girl is? Alright, if you don't, I'll just fill you in a little bit. So Peloton is this um, stationary bike that has the big screen on the front. Like you can, I've never done it before, but from the, what the commercials tell me, you can, you can join live spinning classes or stationary bike classes on your Peloton, right? And from what I've read, it's people that get into it really get into it to the point where some people say it's like a cult. People are so into Peloton, okay? And I'm not dissing Peloton. If somebody gave me a Peloton, I would use it, or I would try to use it. Um, but here's the thing. There's this commercial that just came on a few weeks ago that has just lit up the internet, all right? Where this woman, who is, I think, I think one, of the, one of the memes that I, that I looked at said, she's like 106 pounds, right? And her husband gives her a Peloton, and then, you know, there's kind of a time lapse, and what you get the idea of is that she rode the Peloton all year, and at the next Christmas, she just tells her husband, you changed my life. Like, just so incredible. Peloton changed my life. And I think the meme said, now she was like 104 pounds. <laughs> okay? Now, the reason I bring that up is because there is a longing in us for our bodies to change. Okay? For our bodies to be renewed. And I'm not just talking about weight loss here. There, there's a, we, we, feel, we feel the curse of sin, the brokenness of our world in our bodies constantly. Think about it. You can describe the pain that you feel. Oh, I got a terrible head cold this morning. But, and people can relate with you because they get head colds too, but no one actually knows what your pain level or tolerance is right then. Only you can feel that pain. So, 
here we get this glorious promise. Jesus himself is going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And this is not a 106 pound to 104 pound. This is the idea that there's a resurrection that's going to happen. When we, when we are seeking bodies that are better, there can be vain reasons for that, obviously. But sometimes we just don't want to be sick anymore. You ever get that cough? And the cough just doesn't seem to go away? Or as a number of you in our congregation have, you have illnesses that will not go away this side of the grave. Okay? We have several in here battling cancer or its after effects right now. And we've been praying and walking with you throughout this whole year. You know very, very closely what the brokenness of a mortal body feels like. We long for resurrection. That's what makes those kinds of commercials feel false. We'd much rather see the person who is entirely out of shape, but they're able to exercise and their body does get in, they feel better and they, they feel a sense of accomplishment and change. 106 to 104 just doesn't do it for us because we are longing for big change, for us to be, in effect, made better. And we feel that we aren't there yet. So let's dig into this a little bit more. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body? Who's going to do this? Jesus Himself. All right, This is not a self-help or self-improvement plan. He's not going to put you on a diet or on an exercise plan or anything like that. Jesus Himself will transform our bodies from our lowly body to be like His glorious body. It is His work. When will He do this? Again, as we've been talking about, when He returns. It will not always be like this, brothers and sisters. There will be a day when Christ gets up and He comes down and we will be changed. What will happen? He will take the bodies that we have and transform it to be like His body. The the wording there for our lowly body is literally the body of humility. The body of humility. Let's, Let's contemplate that a little bit. When we think on the body of humility, it it gives us time to really consider the extent of depravity, how broken the world is, how sin has reached to the cellular level, to the DNA level, that things are just not right in this world because of the fall. We are truly fallen. So think about this. Think about sickness, depression, death, sleeplessness, birth defects, barrenness, schizophrenia, back pain, hormone imbalances, cancer, fibromyalgia, autoimmune diseases, stillbirths and miscarriages, learning disabilities, muscle loss, hair loss, memory loss, Alzheimer's, Crohn's disease, sickle cell anemia, strokes, heart disease, addictions, temper, deep sadness, disappointment, loss, division, abuse, 
poverty, the bloatedness of excess, stress at work, stress at home, nervous breakdowns, not having enough time in the day, and that constant feeling like you're just never measuring up. You just don't have the capacity to get it done in whatever arena of life you're thinking of. We are a limited, humble people. And Jesus knows it. So when you wake up in the morning, you're wondering like, why does my right knee hurt? It didn't hurt yesterday. I didn't do anything to make it hurt. Let that knee pain remind you you'll have a new knee one day. We pray for new esophaguses one day and new brains one day. We pray for with the assurance that God will do these things. Jesus will give us new bodies in their fullness. Allow the things that hurt to remind you that we are not who we are supposed to be. But there is a day coming when we, build, when we will be. Will anything ever change? Yes. You and I will get better because Christ will make us better. It is called the resurrection. Jesus, amen. Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Let's, let's explore the glorious body part of that a little bit. Jesus Himself, once dead, now alive. Jesus Himself went to the cross and to the tomb and rose again. What does that mean for us? Well, according to Romans chapter 6, we have shared in His death and we will then share in His resurrection. See, resurrection for us is both historical grounding and theological aspiration. It is, we know that this happened in history, so our faith is not bunk. Our faith is not just ooey-gooey floating out there. No, our faith is based in the historical death and resurrection of Jesus. And just as we can trust in the historical resurrection of Christ and the resounding change in the earth and in the church, as the earthquake of the resurrection happened and the Spirit came down at Pentecost, the resounding effects of that give us the assurance that we see the resurrection to come. So, what did we see about Jesus' glorious body? Well, he still looked like himself. He was recognized. Not always, but he was recognized. He still had the scars. Victorious reminder of his finished work at the cross. Proven to his disciples that he was who he said he was. He had been dead, and as it says in Revelation, is now alive. Jesus ate. Jesus spoke. Jesus listened. Jesus was touched. 
He lived a real life in a real resurrected body, in His glorious body. He appeared to the disciples in the room. Now, did that happen because He walked through the walls? Or did He just appear? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, It happened to Philip later on in Acts too. He just all of a sudden appeared and the Ethiopian eunuch was driving by. All right, so... Philip was not in his glorified body there, but let's, let's put it entirely within the realm of possibility that our glorious bodies will have qualities to them then that we do not have now. So we're not just saying like upgrade to the next like 3.0 body to 4.0 body. We're talking about a resurrected body. A body like no one else besides Jesus himself has experienced yet. The resurrection is still to come. Jesus also still inhabited this earth, but was also ascended to go to the Father. So we we take these, these instances of these observances about, these observations about what Jesus Um, was like on earth. Not to say, and this is how we will be like necessarily after the resurrection, but it gives us a good understanding that things will be different. I mean, you can, you can like take that way down the road if you want to say, so if, if we're never going to die, does that mean that I can jump out of a plane with no parachute? You know, you can, you can make up those sorts of, those sorts of different situations, all right? The Bible's pretty silent on those things. But this is what it's not silent on. Jesus rose, and so will we. As we sang earlier, Matt Papa wrote, What a foretaste of deliverance! How unwavering our hope! Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when He comes. I was in that delivery room, and I saw, I saw my baby boy. I could not explain how he was made in the image of God. I could not explain what his future was going to be like. I could not even really explain biologically. I mean, at the base level, I can explain it. But in terms of like how things really happen, I'm not a scientist myself. But God still gave life. We don't know exactly how resurrected life is going to be, but we're going to experience it. I'll touch on the last, the last part of this, um, this four parts here, but Bill's going to speak on it more next week. How is he going to do this? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Hear that. Hear that. There will be a day when the power of Christ as king will put everything in right order. From your cells all the way to the broadest scope of governments in history. From the the smallest things to the greatest things, Jesus will instantly, by His power, put all things in order. That's a hefty task. We can't even organize our closets. Jesus will organize everything perfectly for His glory that will then be handed over to the Father. What I want you to see is this. What Paul guarantees is that though we don't know exactly what it's going to be like, 
that very power that is ordering everything perfectly is the same power that will actually change us. He's not just plugging you into the wall and hoping you charge. He's instantly giving you new life. He's instantly changing you in a way you could have never imagined. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard what he has planned for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this. Though we don't know how this is going to look physically, necessarily, which I actually kind of appreciate, because that means we'll just get to experience more and more of it. What the Bible does speak on more specifically is this. that See, we tend, we're hyper-individualistic Westerners, so we tend to incorporate everything through our own individual mindset. What does this mean for me? Does this mean that I can jump out of the plane? Okay? Does this mean that my aching right knee will be made better? Those... I don't know about the answer to that. But the answer to the right knee is yes, absolutely. But the Bible is not ultimately saying, think about this individually at a physical level. What the Bible, its, it's, it's constant flow is this. What is actually going to happen is that your heart will be made perfect. That might be even harder to comprehend. That our hearts will be made perfect. Not that, not that um, we become robots or automatons that just follow the directions of our master. No, we will be given, and our new hearts that we've been given already through regeneration will be totally perfected. So we, in effect, could sin, but we won't sin. The glory of God will so capture us that we will willingly love Him. The Spirit who brings resurrection life and completes it will be so powerful and so full that we'll willingly love and worship. So while our physical bodies, yes, will be changed, our hearts will be completed The church will be completed. The church will be completed. We will finally see in its fullness the, the ten thousands upon ten thousands from every nation worshiping. We will, we will see the full effect historically of what Christ's death and resurrection accomplished. A perfected church that with our perfect hearts as individuals engaged in the perfect church together, we will worship perfectly. Does that mean that we will only be like worshiping how we might define worship? No. We will worship perfectly in every single aspect of life. Note that Jesus, in his resurrected body, worshiping the Father perfectly, as he had done for his entire life, by the way, still spoke still listened, still interacted, still was recognized, still recognized, still engaged in friendship and relationship. There will be life in the new heavens and the new earth that is beyond our greatest expectations. In effect, we are 
I think I used this illustration last year. We are in the womb here. And that baby in the womb may hear echoes from the outside. They may sense the warmth of their parents. But there's still no real understanding of what's on the other side of birth. For the Christian, we are waiting to be reborn in a resurrected way. That one day, our faith will be sight and we will see what is outside. True life. This is the resurrection. Jesus Himself will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. I just want to conclude by reading from 1 Corinthians 15. It's on page 961 if you want to follow along, or you could just close your eyes and listen too. Just throw out two, two quick tidbits before I read it as you're trying to find it if you are. Um, if, you, if you have more questions about the return of Christ, and it just seems unfathomable to you. Like, how could this ever actually be true? Would you go to 2 Peter chapter 3 sometime this week? Read 2 Peter 3. It'll, it'll speak to you. And then if you're having ever questions about the resurrection, come to 1 Corinthians 15. It doesn't mean those are the only two chapters in the New Testament that talk about those things. But there are two, two chapters that really speak specifically to some of the questions that we can still have even today. 15.1 first. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Okay? Paul was in the business, the spiritual business of proclaiming the good news. This is true. You believe it or you don't. He says this, this is the gospel I preached to you, which you received. That was in the past. There was a time where you made a profession of faith and you said, I have received the gospel. Then he moves the timeline forward to the present. He says, in which you stand. If you are a true believer, it does not matter ultimately what you say happened in the past. Are you standing in the gospel today? And by which you are, aha, being saved. Which you are being saved. The gospel is for then, it is for now, and it is for what, to, it, what is to come. By which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. He is, he is urging the his people in Corinth to not become enemies of the cross. Don't abandon the gospel. Trust Christ. And I proclaim this to you this morning, people at Edgewater, if you have not trusted Christ, believe today. He came, stood up and came down, not to stay as little baby Jesus in the manger, but to grow and live and become the perfect man who never sinned, 
the perfect God-man, so that he could go to the cross not, not bearing any of his own sin. So that he could die for us who cannot bear our own sin. Believe in Jesus Christ today and say it. It's nothing else that I have done. I have done some good things, but they don't merit heaven. They don't, they don't somehow earn me a resurrected body. No. Only the one who died and rose again for you can earn you the resurrected body. Because he did it. Trust Christ today. Let's go to verse 35, and I'll just end by reading this. Hear this. But someone will ask, how were the dead raised? What kind of body, with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind, hear that? And the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars different from stars, differs, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown... And unless Christ comes back first, we will all be sown. We will be seeds of past life thrown into the soil. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. That would be Adam. The second man is from heaven. That would be Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, hallelujah, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. i got to stop there. I mean, the reality is here, just as you feel the curse of Adam, you will feel the victory of Christ. There, Paul presents them equally. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, this mortal body must put on immortality." When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If we believe in the resurrection, this afternoon's not in vain. This week at work is not in vain. Your family reunion is not in vain. The prayers you are praying are not in vain. Your time together worshiping this morning are not in vain. The times that you're waiting for a child to be born or waiting to get pregnant are not in vain. None of this is in vain if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that all oh, vanity of vanities, Lord, our, our lives are just so full of vanity, yet you say, in you, Jesus, nothing is vain. So God, we pray that you would continue to change our hearts. Continue to make us more like yourself. Would you stamp the image of you on us? Jesus, thank you for coming to us, stepping down, and we look forward to that day when you return. And all of this, all of this will be for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.